We haven't asked this question in a long time. What new artist are you really getting into right now? That is easy because I was just vibing to them today and it's Delta Ray. Yes, you were texting me about them. They I described them as moody bluegrass. Mm-hmm. They're they're definitely like a a southern bluegrass influence. Not all their songs are that twangy. Uh-huh. But they're so good. They're a f- six piece, I think. And their harmonies are unreal. Mm. They're super talented. They they did a song with Vocal Wave. Okay. Uh Vocal Rush, sorry. About the Black Lives Matter protest last year. It's called All Good People. Mm-hmm. Mm, it is. I need so to good. listen to them because you bought tickets. In yes, November, they're right? coming to Charlottesville. To my favorite Jefferson, the Jefferson, which is my Ooh, favorite venue. I like the Jefferson a lot. That's where I saw Coheed. Yes, was it the Jefferson? Very cute little venue. Yeah. It so is when really I cute. saw it was there, I was like, I gotta. Last time I was there because I sat in the mezzanine because it has that two mezzanines. Yeah. And someone threw a beer can down and landed on a lady right in front of me. They were pissed. Last time I was there, I almost got in a fight because nice. Good I was for you. A, it was an acoustic piano show for Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. Even better. And the girl behind me would not shut the fuck up. She talked I remember this. like at this volume to her friend, which is not an appropriate concert going yeah. volume when there's just a piano playing. And there's a group of girls who I just met there who were sitting next to me, and we were all like this girl has got to go. Yeah. So I had had exactly half a beer, which was enough to give me the courage to turn around and go, hey, you're being really distracting right now. Do you mind being quiet? Just like that's all I said. Yeah. And then she goes, I'm being distracting. And then everyone on the ground turned and looked at her and she was so embarrassed that she left. Good. Good for you. Sticking up. To- I will take no shit when it comes to talking during a show. If there's it's like true. someone in a movie behind me or at a theater performance, mm-hmm. I will call you out. Yeah. No, I respect that. I think the artist, I'm cheating a little bit because I mentioned her in my, her, in my last cold open, but her is who I've been listening to quite a bit. Um, that's just such good music. Like she's so talented and it's these really beautiful, like intricate songs and they just, they're so smooth yet so complex. Like I love I've been falling in love with like really rich music in the sense yeah. of it, th- there's a lot of thought that is in in it. Like you can tell mm-hmm. like they really thought about the musicality of it mm-hmm. and the musicianship. So I really, yeah, I've been on, she's a perfect example of that. So I've been listening to her quite a bit. She is a fantastic guitar player. She is, man. And her custom strat is beautiful, mm-hmm. and that's probably my dream guitar. Yeah. It's glittery and silver and gorgeous. Anyway. I'm Bethann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. Welcome, new listeners. We, Hello. We, I wanted to do this in the last episode, but there was a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. There's less stuff to talk about. There's a lot of you. It's kind of overwhelming. We're kind of, we're literally like, me and Leah were talking a little bit before this. It's kind of crazy because this time last year, we're like, we're just doing our thing, right? And we've always had this like lofty idea. It's like, well, maybe we'll get a good amount of listeners someday. 
And then it started happening. And now me and Lee are like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I it's a little bizarre, but we love it. Can't believe that there are strangers on the internet who want to listen to us talk, but thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I wish we had more of more verbose way of saying that, but we're overwhelmed and shocked that you yeah. want to listen to us. But I mean, you're also getting a good snapshot of our personalities. We are who we are. So this is all the time. Literally how you are hearing us is how we talk on our daily basis. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> to all of our friends. Um, do you want to read a review? From I the do want to read a sheet? review. Whoops. Let's take I a look. accidentally clicked Do you one. want me to read two? Sure. Okay. We had less to talk about this time. That sounds good. All right. I'm just going to read this first one from AB2793, which I think is their... Stormtrooper ID tag. <laughs> At least that's what I'm going to tell myself. That's amazing. She will rock you. We will. I've found a new favorite music podcast. These girls are great. I laugh so hard at the tacos. Prenses, I support you. If you want a fun, informative po- music podcast, this is the podcast. I love it. Thank you, AB, whatever your those numbers Two, were. 2793. Now get back in line. Um, <laughs> over to... FN218. FN2187. Uh, I'm going to just choose... Let's do a longer one. I love this. This is from Man If Steel. Not of steel? No, it says Man If Steel. Oh, okay. If Steel, but Steel is spelled S-T-E-A-L. So if Man... If it's more of a philosophical question (laughs) is what I'm getting from it. And I appreciate, you know, man of steel, you made me think first moment. (laughs) I appreciate you. The queen of queen, the queens of queen. Fuck, fuck, fuck. (laughs) The queens of queen review. I'm doing great with a half a seltzer, hard seltzer in me. Well, you know, that's enough. I also haven't. As I told you, I ate half a salad today, and then I was like, "I'm not, hu- I'm not uh, full." And then I was literally so stubborn, and I didn't go get myself more sustenance. I just literally worked at my job hungry, and then ate a taco, a and then decision. I drank. So there you go. That's where we're at right now. <laughs> so my new favorite music-specific podcast. Just listen to their Queen review, and boy, oh boy, do I know more than I ever knew about Queen. Trust me, I thought I knew a bit, but now I know a lot more. Seriously, though, these women are awesome, funny, and extremely knowledgeable, and the chemistry between them is dynamite. Go and give their podcast a listen, because I bet they will rock you. Thank you so much. By the way, that chemistry comes from us being coworkers. Yes. We only mention that like we yeah. mention that sometimes, but we don't mention it enough. I feel like me and Leah met at a job and my first impression of you, you had a cold and I was very scared of you. Most people are not scared because of, me. of the cold, but because of like you're like, all right, let's get to work. Don't fuck with me at work. No, do not <laughs> fuck with her. I have fucked with her at work and it did not work. It did not work well for me. <laughs> Do not interrupt me <laughs> when I am working. <laughs> we also forgot to mention this in the last episode. We have merch. Yes. It's new. Merch, it's merch, merch. Pink. It's not all pink. It's so black you, and pink. If you don't like pink, it's not all pink. But uh, there are pink options. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Go check it out. There's a link on our website. Yes. It's it, the URL is complicated. Just use the link on our website and buy some merch. Support the pod. Yes. 
because we don't and tag us in it on social media yes. so we can give you an awesome highlight yes we we want to see your merch photos we don't do this for the money but mm. it is nice to see people wearing Trust our me, stuff folks, we are not doing this for the money <laughs> i think we have made a grand total of a hundred dollars in two Woo! years we're rolling Big in it guys money and then we bought a mic that both costs a hundred a piece. So we've made negative money. <laughs> negative a hundred dollars. <laughs> Woo. Anyway, you're not here to listen to me talk about merch. You're not here for our financial reports. No. Hey, at least we're not giving you health advice this time. Yeah, that's true. Today we are talking about someone that I did not know much about other than a couple of, of her hit songs. Bonnie Raitt. I... Went in, like I said, I went into this with like zero knowledge other than yeah. I think literally three songs. And I have come out with so much respect for her and what she does. And I hope that all of you do too by the end of this yes. history lesson. One thing I forgot to mention, I believe I read this correctly, but Bonnie Raitt was played in Gwen Stefani's house, which I think is an interesting tie. That's, as we will see, that makes sense. Yeah. I'll, I'll get there when I get there. Um, and to introduce Bonnie Raitt, I'm going to quote the acceptance, not sorry, I'm going to quote the introduction speech at her Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction that Melissa Etheridge gave, Aww. in which she introduces her by saying, Bonnie Raitt, sex, slide, soul, selflessness. <laughs> I love, why do I love all those words together? Because it's Bonnie Raitt and you're going to love great, her. Great word salad. You're going to love her. Uh, so Bonnie Lynn Raitt was born on November 8th, 1949 in Burbank, California. If you're doing the math in your head, she is now 73 years old. Wow. So she was like, like a contemporary of Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. um, but lived a very different life. If you've listened to our Dolly episode, her mother, Marge, was a pianist, like professional level pianist. And her father, John Raitt, was a professional actor. He starred in like touring companies of Oklahoma the pajama game and he was the original leading man in carousel wow yeah so like that's really cool top-notch level actor mm-hmm. uh because of this he was gone a lot of her childhood which left her at home with her mom and her two brothers yeah which her their names are steve and david she was very much tomboy uh i feel like i didn't i need to point this out she has bright red hair mm-hmm. it's not relevant to the story but just to give you like a little mental picture yeah um, so like I said, dad's traveling all the time and Bonnie grew to really resent her mother because she didn't like her being in charge while dad was away. Didn't like dad being gone all the time. It, you know, family drama. Yeah. But because they were from a very musical family, her parents encouraged her and her brothers to explore their musical interests very early on. So Bonnie starts out learning piano very, very young, but because her mom is like a piano prodigy, mm-hmm. she's very intimidated by it. She feels like she can't live up to her mother's legacy. And so she quits. Oh, yeah. So for her eighth Christmas when she's eight, not her eighth Christmas. Uh, well, it is her eighth Christmas. It's her ninth Christmas because you have your first Christmas before you turn one. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about it for a while. <laughs> her at Christmas when she is eight in 1957, she gets a Stella guitar and she immediately starts teaching herself how to play this. Mm-hmm. 
She never takes formal lessons, but she studies American folk music like on her own by ear, teaching herself how to play. Uh, and her grandfather also played guitar, because like I said, musical family, yeah. and helped her learn Hawaiian slide guitar, which Ooh. is a very interesting first style to learn. Yeah. But p- translates very well to Surely the b- country would have been easier, but okay. Finger picking, maybe? No, yeah. we're going to learn Hawaiian slide, uh, which does translate really well into her new obsession, which is blues. Oh, yeah. So she hears the album Blues at Newport, 1963, at age 14, and immediately was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to play blues guitar. Yeah. This little redheaded Irish girl is going to play blues guitar. I love it. Uh, I also want to note that her family is Quaker, which if you don't know, because I'm sure someone out there doesn't know, Quaker is a subsect of Christianity that's based on super peaceful principles. Um, they don't believe in fighting. They don't believe in war. And her Quaker upbringing was focused less on the religion side of it, but more on the politics side of it. Yeah. Which is interesting because her parents are dragging itty bitty Bonnie and her brothers to protests for the civil rights movement, the peace movement, the stopping the nuclear bomb being built. And at these peace rallies, she hears, Bob Dylan yeah. and Peter, Paul, and Mary singing protest songs. And so it, it forms her viewpoint of the world, basically. Right. And she grew up probably the most woke musician we've ever studied on this show. Um, and she kind of was the anti-LA kid. She, she grew up in the heart of LA, yeah. but was not like your typical beach-going teenager. Uh, as if her life wasn't chaotic enough with peace rallies and blues music she also got really into the beatnik movement oh i love the beatnik movement so as a teenager she's in these scenes of you know social justice she's learning how to play guitar yeah and like all teenagers she's self-conscious about her weight her red hair her freckles and so she just hides in her room and plays guitar for hours and hours and hours it's how all great musicians start exactly at age 15 she makes her debut playing with a friend at the troubadour First off, what? Yes. She's playing at the Troubadour? Yes. At that age? Yes. Because she's... Get, get the fuck out. ...already an accomplished blues guitarist. Uh, after that show, I mean, I don't know anything about the show. It's really hard to find information on Bonnie, period. This is a whole side rant of she needs to be documented more. There is literally one documentary about her on the internet that I could find. It's wow. a 20-minute VH1 behind the mus- music thing. Yeah. Um... We need more Bonnie content, y'all. Yes. Which is why I'm doing this. But so I don't know exactly how that show went. I don't know if it was good or bad. But at that show, after she finished, she vowed to become the female Muddy Waters. Mm. And this quickly circulates in the blue scene. So like guys like Buddy Guy, Mississippi Fred McDowell and Mm -hmm. Muddy Waters get wind that this little redheaded white girl is trying to like emulate them and do this blues guitar and they think it's a little weird, but they roll with it. And she does eventually go on to be like really good friends with them and really good colleagues. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and she proves that she has the chops to make it in this world. She has the heart and the soul and the passion and the dedication that she needs. Uh, but she takes a slight detour after college where she goes to Harvard. Why not? She's so- Okay. 
the fact was she 15 when she played at the troubadour yeah okay so the fact that she was 15 playing at one of the most prestigious really harvard is just adding letters to her name at that point i mean truly there is some genius happening there well she was obsessed with the music scene in boston and she wanted to get there like as quickly as she could and so harvard was the route that she took i mean i get it Um, seriously she obviously is incredibly talented and smart a genius yeah um while at harvard she majored in social relations and african studies oh with the goal to go to tanzania and just kind of undo all the shit that america did (laughs) that's awesome i love that we stand uh she chose harvard and the boston scene to get away from the right-wing politics of la because at the time la was super conservative and super interesting uh she didn't like it and the east coast was really involved in the peace movement and civil rights and so like i said she wanted to be here while on campus she became the lead singer of a group called the revolutionary music collective yes which was founded by bob telson and their claim to fame is when the Harvard students were striking in 1970, they provided the entertainment and the accompaniment. I love that. And also like, I feel like that name could be like revived today. Oh yeah. Like that's a good band name. Someone at Harvard revived that. Yes. Um, because she's a broke college student, she notices that people were making money, just like a few bucks here and there playing in bars and clubs and coffee mm-hmm. shops. And she was like, you know, I'm at least that good to make a couple dollars in these bars. Um, and it turns out she wasn't just good enough. She was that good. And she, you know, one gig leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. But people weren't quite sure what to make of her because, like I said, she's a redheaded white girl yeah. playing Robert Johnson songs. Right. And it's just, it's confusing for everyone involved. <laughs> and as we will see, it takes... <laughs> It takes the public a long time to warm up to this idea. But, you know, I love her story because clearly she, like, loves blues and she loves the artists that come. Yes. She reminds me a little bit of Janis Joplin. In yes. That. She recognizes, like, there have been some incredible black artists that have come before. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, is, you know, she's making colleagues with them and she's fighting and she's yeah. supporting. So, there a lot of Janice energy on this and I love that definitely so while she's making this club circuit she becomes friends with famous blues promoter Dick Waterman Uh and during her sophomore year of college she actually ends up leaving because unfortunate name by the way Dick Waterman Dick Waterman that's really bad sorry continue (laughs) during her sophomore year she ends up leaving originally for a semester but she never comes back uh because Waterman gets her a gig in Philly and this was the opportunity that changed everything for her. She said uh-huh. that she basically came to this fork in a road where it was college or a record contract. Mm. And the record contract won out. Yeah. So while she's she's still playing these smaller gigs that, that Dick set up for her. And she's shopping around for record deal. And while she's doing this, she has two rules. When she gets a record deal, she wants to have complete creative control over her album. Smart. Which, yes make that your rule but also she refused to open for anyone that she wouldn't pay her own money to go see excellent which i respect the hell out of i love her i love her story arc you're gonna love her even more we're only on page two of seven uh so by the summer of 1970 she wound up playing with her brother david 
he's playing stand-up bass at the Miss with Mississippi Fred McDowell at the Philly Folk Festival. Uh, and then that same summer, she opens up for John Hammond at the Gaslight Cafe in New York City. So at this New York City, a reporter for Newsweek saw her perform, and he wrote like this glowing review about her performance yep. that starts getting her offers for major labels. Mm-hmm. And so she pretty quickly accepts an offer from Warner Brothers Studios, or Warner Brothers Records, I guess, and like within six months, releases her debut album, self-titled Bonnie Raitt in 1971. Mm-hmm. This album got so much praise from critics because her guitar playing is insane. And at this time, can you name another woman guitarist that's breaking onto the scene? Not in the blues world. No, there was none. So she was a bit of a novelty to them, but also she's yeah. really fucking good. But unfortunately, like she doesn't have a lot of fans at the time words hard to get out and she's the record label was not doing a lot to publicize her and record sales were just okay um spoiler this is a theme for like the next 20 years but she does develop a hardcore fan base and she grinds out the tourist circuit like slowly adding a couple fans here a couple fans there and carving out a name for herself and we were talking about the respect that she pays to these blues legends who came before her so around this time, after her debut album, she becomes really good friends with Slippy Wallace. Okay. Uh, she considered Slippy to be her sassy grandmother figure. Oh, I love that. Because Bonnie's own grandmother died when she was like really little, like three or four. Uh-huh. And Slippy didn't have any grandchildren to pass her blues knowledge down on to. Oh. So they end up going on to have a 15-year mentorship oh, until I love that. Uh, Slippy passed away in 1986. Um, it's just a little bit of back a little bit of background on slippy she was a blues artist in the 1920s who took zero shit from anybody and wrote songs and lyrics that were so feisty for the 1920s uh including women be wise keep your mouth shut don't advertise your man and you can make me do what you want to do but you've got to know how Ooh, ooh, i love it Uh, And one thing that we'll see throughout Bonnie's career, I'll talk about it again at the end, is she does everything in her power to make sure these early blues legends and blues influencers are not forgotten like history wants them to be. Yes. Yes. Yes, Bonnie. (laughs) I'm telling you. I love her. She honestly, this is a great entry. This is a great entry for uh, our patron saint patron saint bonnie right uh, she, she's making it but keep i want to hear the rest of the application go ahead you'll want to hear uh i want to add her so pin pin that vein for later uh she releases her second album give it up in 1972 and her third album taking my time in 1973 again they're super strong critical hits but the sales just were not there yeah so in 1974 this is her fourth album in four years she releases her album streetlights still did not sell well and so she starts to think like okay what can i do different to make it out there and so she changes her sound a little bit for her 1975 album home plate to be a little bit more mainstream and this kind of works not mm-hmm. not to the level that the record label wants but she gets enough pubis gets enough publicity and enough uh like traction to be to get a rolling stone cover story She's not like the cover photo, but yeah. her little blurb is there. So yeah, it's a start. It's something. In 1977, her album Sweet Forgiveness 
gave her her first commercial breakthrough. Like she finally had a hit single. Uh, she remade a song called Runaway in a blues style. I don't know how to describe the song. It's it's a re- it's a cover that did really well. Yeah. Um, but because she's suddenly popular, she has record labels fighting over her, which is interesting. Normally, we don't cover artists that have this problem. Mm-hmm. So Warner Brothers starts fighting Columbia, and it starts a war because James Taylor had just left Warner Brothers and made a big album for Columbia, and they kind of wanted to repeat that success. But then Warner Brothers signed Paul Simon away from Columbia. And they didn't want me to have a hit record for Columbia, no matter what. So she ends up renegotiating her contract um, with Warner Brothers, which matches Columbia's deal. And she like makes a lot of money out of it. So good for her. There you go. We, we like to see record labels fighting over artists. Yes. Um, but because they're paying her a lot more money now, she's got a lot of more pressure on her to do well commercially. So she releases The Glow in 1979. And it does not do well. It has her worst reviews yet. People are just sleeping on her. And I don't like that. I mean, granted, I didn't know who she was before this. I mean, I knew her name. I knew her name and I knew what she did. But like from everything I'm hearing, just her story alone makes me want to just support her. Yes. Like her mission to just elevate blues artists and preserve it and um like that alone just gets me excited we stand bonnie Raitt. uh so yeah it doesn't it doesn't do great but her biggest commercial success to date does come in this year but not from an album it's because she helps to organize the five i guess it was like five consecutive concerts like a series of concerts and it's the musicians united for safe energy also known as muse concerts at madison square garden these shows had a live taping so they make an album out of these live tapings they call it no nukes (laughs) subtle (laughs) which goes to be three times gold um and then they also make a movie with warner brothers films uh, out of that like scenario also called no nukes and these shows were huge the they were put on by bonnie jackson brown graham nash john hall as well as Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, mm. the Doobie Brothers, Carly Simon, James Taylor, Gil Scott Heron, and like many, many others. Wow. Also, I want to point out, literally yesterday, Rolling Stone wrote an article that they're making a documentary about this. It's focusing on fucking Bruce Springsteen. Waste. Which I have an issue with, which Waste. Bruce is fine. He's fine artist. But Bruce's brand is not protesting and activism in the way that Bonnie's is. Yeah. And she should be the the focus of this documentary. Damn it. You have so many artists that you just mentioned. Yeah. And you choose Bruce Springsteen? Why? Because he did a podcast with Obama? <laughs> like, like, that's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> it's really not fair because I, I feel like knowing what I know of Bonnie and some of these artists mentioned... Bruce was probably not the first person to think of Bruce this Bruce is fine. Like, I have nothing against Bruce Springsteen as an artist. But there's so many other artists. And he, Bruce has had so much publicity and so much... Yes. So many documentaries. Talk about Bonnie. Or Carly Simon. Yeah. Or just talk about anyone else other than Bruce Springsteen. That's that's my personal rant about this. I agree with you. Um, like I said, her early life, she went to protest rallies. She said it was a very easy segue for her to do this when she was an adult. Like, she yeah. didn't want to stop doing it. 
the quote from her in this VH1 special is, there is a responsibility that we have to improve things and fix the things in the world that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. Muse actually still exists and still protests nuclear war. Nice. And they also have branched out into fighting to preserve our ancient forests. Good. We stand Muse. Not to be confused with Muse, the band the band nor the podcast nor the podcast muses <laughs> um interestingly though she's so you know into social justice and protest she's always avoided doing overtly political songs yeah except for when she can be political about how men and women relate to each other which i think is interesting so we've hit 1982 she releases her album Greenlight. And she makes a conscious attempt to go back to the sound of her earlier records, like the more bluesy traditional stuff. Yeah. Um, but like the media starts comparing her to new wave music and no one really, what she's it, like, no one really knows why that doesn't make any sense. I don't literally, no one can explain it, but it just said like, the article I read says, to her surprise, many of her peers and the media compared her to new wave music. Whatever. Okay. Um, the album received the best reviews she's gotten in a very long time. Well, guess what? No one buys it. Oh. And so this doesn't go over well with Warner Brothers. And it starts a bit of a fiasco, shit show. You yeah. decide. Picture it. You have to introduce yourself to a total stranger by handing them a mixtape made up of songs that tell the story of you. What songs are on the tape? Why are those songs there? Got you thinking, right? We put that question and many more to a different guest every episode on Made You a Mixtape. Life, work, and the music that makes people who they are today. Authors, musicians, broadcasters, podcasters, everyone has a soundtrack. Download and listen on all audio streaming services today. Made you a mixtape. It's not what your songs are. It's what songs are you. So in 1983, Bonnie is finishing up the follow-up album to Greenlight, which is called Tongue and Groove. The day after the mastering is done on Tongue and Groove, Warner Brothers drops her. That's a bullshit move. Because she's not selling enough albums. I get it, but like, why don't you just see through this album? Just wait. Okay. Um, so they shell the album, they don't release it, and Bonnie has no record contract. Unsurprisingly, at this time, Bonnie starts to struggle with alcohol and drug abuse problems. Mm, poor thing. But despite her personal issues... And not having a recording contract, she still continues to tour on her own dime. She is literally paying her touring musicians out of her own savings account to make something happen. She's like, I just got to like grind and get there because something bigger is going to happen. Yeah. Um, And she does like a couple of small projects in this kind of in-between time. In 1985, she appeared in the video Sun City, which is an anti-apartheid song, which was written by Stephen Van Zandt. Um, She also went to the Farm Aid and Amnesty International concert, so more protesting. Yeah. She goes to Moscow. Moscow? She goes to Moscow to participate in the very first Soviet-American peace concert. And in 1987, she organizes a benefit to stop Contra Aid, 
which I just had to put this in here because I don't know what the hell Contra Aid was. It was the U.S.-backed and funded right-wing rebel groups that were active from 1979 to the early 1990s that were uh, protesting the Marxist government in Nicaragua. America was backing that? Yes. We got nothing better to do? Nope. Huh. I mean, that's fine. Sure. Whatever. But, like, why... Why? This is why we were protesting. We don't have it. another. We don't have enough problems here. We had a whole other Cold War situation falling apart. We don't need to be meddling in other people's affairs. But uh, well, whatever. We always have something going on. We always find a way to meddle in people's affairs. But you know, so she's this is not a politics podcast. <laughs> no, she's still doing the protest thing despite it having like no money and being on drugs. Um. So let us not forget. She recorded Tongue and Groove two years prior. Right. So two years after they kicked her off the label, mm-hmm. they came out and said, hey, we're going to release that album. Hope you're cool with it. And she was like, um, no. Are they going to give her a royalty check? Just wait. She said, at this point, I think they kind of felt bad. I mean, I was out there touring on my own savings to keep my name up and my ability to draw a crowd was less and less. So they agreed to let me go recut half of the album and then that album ended up becoming nine lives so she got royalties off of it i think because it says that it was still released under warner brothers it didn't do well it was a commercial and critical disappointment so really no one won in this situation yeah like i kind of like that because it's kind of a fuck you to warner brothers for right. doing what they did but also they should just let her go yeah Anyway, so because she's dropped from Warner Brothers, she's a free agent, and she's actually offered a recording contract with Prince's Paisley Records. Wow. Okay. Because Prince, Prince is a real musician. Prince, Prince knows what's up. Prince knows what's going on. But unfortunately, she gets into a skiing accident that puts her in the hospital for two months. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so she can't take that offer, but it gives her a lot of time to think and reflect on her life and what she's doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, I seed, I, the, the, I seed. Wow. I seed. I saw that some changes needed to be made. I looked at myself and I just felt that I wasn't being the best version of me that I could. I wasn't going to blame anyone other than myself. So she goes to AA meetings and they give her a new outlook on life. Good for her. So once she's, you know, sober and got her shit together, she, does end up spending some time with Prince at Paisley Park. Okay. Working on this round of songs. They were co-writing. They were recording together. Unfortunately, they were never released. They're somewhere in, the in that vault. fucking vault. Uh, Prince Estate, get on it. They're somewhere in that fucking vault. Um, Prince loved her. They were besties until yeah. he died. I could see them getting along really well they worked professionally together his 1996 album emancipation Mm -hmm. is a like respect to bonnie Raitt. the like crown jewel of that album is i can't make you love me e-y-e can't make you the letter u yeah love me which is his take on bonnie's 1991 hit i can't make you love me oh i love that besties Uh, But that's jumping ahead of ourselves. We're only at 1987 right now. Uh, In 1987, she's tapped to do backup vocals for a Roy Orbison TV special. And by this time, this is like a good segue into her new clean and sober life. 
She's working with Prince. She's doing backup vocals. Um, and she starts to shop around for a new record deal. And she meets this guy. His name is Don Was. Don Was. W-A-S. Maybe Waz, but Waz sounds weird. No, I like Don Was. It's also very philosophical. <laughs> like what Man was, of Steel. What was Don? Don Was. So she met him through a guy named Hal Wilner, who was putting together an album called Stay Awake, which was basically Disney Mania before Disney Mania existed. Oh, geez, yeah. It's a bunch of Disney covers done in contemporary styles for A&M Records. <laughs> and Bonnie does that. a cover of Baby Mine from Dumbo. <gasps> oh, I bet that's good. I actually don't like it, but I hate. Don't like I don't it? like that song anyway. That so. song for like... I think I was in elementary, middle school. Whenever I go listen to that, I would cry. Aww. And I was just a kid. <laughs> like, I wasn't even a 30-year-old. <laughs> I think my issue with the cover is it's too fast for a lullaby. It's, oh. it's too bluesy for a lullaby. Um, but this, these sessions go really well. And she's like, when I get an album deal, I want you to produce this next album. Dawn was. Yeah. And so that album, that Stay Awake album, the compilation, did really well. Capitol Records loved it, and she ends up getting a record deal with Capitol Records anyway. So Good for her. Fuck Warner Brothers. Fuck Warner. So with this first Capitol Records release, uh, after being in the business for over 20 years, she finally gets commercial success. She deserves it. With her 10th album, Nick of Time. Good for her, man. Appropriately named Nick of Time. Um, I want to point out that she is 40 at the time of this album nice which proves it is never too late to make it big it's a tina turner and is a turner, turner. same th- 46 or somewhere around that at time and she wrote a lot of this song as she was coming out of her addiction she's reflecting on the fact that she's 40 it kind of the whole album deals with her coming to terms with middle age getting older and running out of time um a lot of her past albums had you know your typical you've done me wrong yeah i'm gonna bitch about it or uh, the man I love left me, which she wasn't, she was not into dating from what I can tell. Like, yeah, they were just songs that she wrote to put on an album or that other people wrote for her to put on an album. Yeah. Um, this was her first album that she drew on personal experience and look, it worked. Wow. I love it. So on this album is a cover of a song called a thing called love, which John Hyatt, I think wrote, if he didn't write it, he definitely released it in 1987. Um, and we're entering the age of the music video. And Bonnie's not super comfortable with being on camera. Uh-huh. This is a new thing. This is not something that she was trained for. Sure. She's coming up as a 20-year-old. And she's blues, too. And she, Yeah. Well, like, like, how are you going to make bl- a blues video? This is what Tony Bennett said about Amy Winehouse, who was also a blues singer and jazz singer. Like, blues and jazz people like they just want to do the music yes really all they want to do is just do the music well bonnie finds a loophole because one of her best friends because she knows everyone in hollywood is dennis quaid (laughs) (laughs) and so she's like you know what you're doing do you want to be in my video because if you play the boyfriend in the video and i had to flirt with you it'd be a lot easier than me flirting with a random stranger yeah i'd be comfortable and so he's like sure Mm -hmm. and she said that the women of America have thanked her over and over and over again for making that video. Yes, that was a smart marketing move. Uh, when she sings the song live, audience members close to the stage will actually scream, where's Dennis? 
I love it. Uh, and so this album swept the Grammys in 1990. I want to say that it, I didn't put in here. Hold on. I'm going to Google it real quick. Nick of time. Grammy awards. It's loading. Oh, here it is. It won... So it swept the Grammys that year. It won Album of the Year, Best Female Rock Vocal Performance, and then the song Nick of Time won Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, which, again, I don't understand how the Grammys categorizes genres, but whatever. She sweeps the Grammys for everything that she's nominated in. Good. Uh, The album is also number 230 in the Rolling Stone list of 500 greatest albums of all time. One day we'll have listed all 500 albums. Yes. Um, this is her also her first sober album. So she'd been casually using drugs and alcohol until it got really bad. Yeah. This is her first completely sober album. Um, and she comes off the success with another hot album. In 1991, she releases Luck of the Draw that also wins three more Grammys. And in 1994, she wins another Grammy with her album Longing in Their Hearts. So that's Three albums in three years, wow. with three or maybe three albums in four years with like Grammy sweeps for all of them. Yeah. Her time has come. And she also found a producer who she worked really well with and Don was. Uh, their relationship after this album or after the live album called Road Tested in 1995, they split amicably. It was just time for each of them to go. Sure. Explore other avenues. In March of 2000, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Bonnie was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Melissa Etheridge. And in this VH1 documentary that I watched, little baby Melissa, because this was filmed in like the late 90s, Mm -hmm. tells the story of how Bonnie was the first celebrity that she met when she was recording her first album. And Bonnie genuinely encouraged her and told her how much she loved the music she was making. And she owes her career to Bonnie's encouragement. Um, Another quote from her introduction or her induction speech is... In the court of rock and roll, she is not the queen. She doesn't want to be the queen. She's a soldier, living it, feeling it. A woman in a man's world, breaking ground. Mm. In 2002, she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for her contributions to the recording industry. In 2012, she did a duet of Can't Make You Love Me with Alicia Keys at Ooh. the Grammy Awards when they honored Etta James. Mm-hmm. Um, and just some random assortment of all the amazing shit that Bonnie has done in her life. At nearly every concert, Bonnie works with a fund called the Guacamole Fund. Yes. Which I just love. Uh, to offer hand-selected, like, prime seats to nonprofit organizations who work on issues of safe and sustainable energy, environmental protection, and peace with justice and beyond. Uh, so she, like, places a value on these nonprofit workers and she'll give them like discount prime seats. I love it. Uh, and like I said earlier, she has dedicated her life to blues and honoring these blues musicians, musicians that came before her. Mm-hmm. She's been mentored by them her whole life. Um, include links, Libby Wallace, Charles Brown and Ruth Brown. When she started to tour at the very beginning of her career in the 1970s, she would insist that blues performers be booked as her opening act, um, which 
she got her way because Dick Waterman was very into the blues scene. Yeah. Um, and he also represented a lot of these blues acts, but she just didn't want them to fade into obscurity. Um, she, on her own albums and on other albums, she's played with B.B. King, A.C. Reed, Slippy Wallace, Buddy Guy, Junior Wells, Ruth Brown, Charles Brown, Keb Mo, and Joe Louis Walker. And she has started... She's a co-founder of the Rhythm and Blues Foundation, which assists artists in recovering lost royalties, funding wow. headstones, and quietly, sometimes anonymously, donating money to blues singers in need. Uh, today, she is 71. I think I said she was 73 earlier. Sorry, I'm bad at math. She's still touring. Good for her, man. I want to go see her now. She's playing some shows in Canada this September. Uh, I'm playing a festival in Florida in October. I'm sure more dates will come. Yeah. And the final fact I will leave you with is her main touring guitar that she plays is a customized Fender Stratocaster that she nicknamed Brownie. This became the basis for a signature model that Fender, like, you know how they sell, like, her model guitar. She was the first female musician ever to receive a custom Fender line. The application has been reviewed. And I am happy to say, alongside of Sister Rosetta Tharp, Dolly Parton, Tina Turner, Bonnie Raitt is being added to the patron saints. This is our fourth saint. We need to start this, keeping track. We do need to keep track. But I mean, we can add as many as we want. But seriously, patron saint level here. I'm telling you, the whole time I was researching her, I was like, Beth Ann's going to love her. <laughs> I, just, I, I respect the hell out of people who know... I mean, it's the heartbeat of our podcast. We talk about diversity so much on our podcast and we cannot forget where rock and roll started. And it did start a lot. It start, well, we know it started with Sister Rosetta Tharp, who was a black queer woman, mm-hmm. but it also, there's so many roots in black culture and black music. And I love when artists come and not only do they like credit them, they do everything they can to preserve that legacy and and she does it quietly not in a exactly look at me i'm a white person singing blues she's just like i recognize where this came from i respect it yeah i'm gonna do everything in my power to preserve this history but i'm not gonna brag about it right and the the headstone one the funding and headstones is a huge one because we talked about this in the sister rosetta tharp episode she did not have a tombstone for like 20 years she had to have people do a crowd like someone found out mm-hmm. i forget who um found out and they had to do like a GoFundMe type campaign because they didn't tell bonnie Raitt she needed one yeah for real but like that unfortunately a lot of our black artists are just so monumental to the music we have today mm-hmm. are just not only are they being forgotten they're being you know kind of what's the word i'm looking for like just not being respected yeah and and not having these tombstones that they like we have no way of truly honoring them with just a headstone mm-hmm. and so like a fund that does that to help i mean that alone is enough for my my patron sainthood because it's it, it's just incredible that's what we should be doing we need to be preserving the legacy of just music but also just a lot of the pioneering black artists have done Thank you, Bonnie Raitt. To patron saint Bonnie Raitt, I will toast my mango yes. white claw. And my guava lime hard seltzer. Insert clinking noise here.
Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death the Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. There you'll find our social information, our show notes, where you can contact us, and our brand new Spank merch. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. 